welcome to the Maritime Podcast for our latest episode of Maritime in Minutes. You are listening to Gary Howard, Europe Editor of Sea Trade Maritime News, and Marcus Hand, Editor of Sea Trade Maritime News. Maritime in Minutes is our monthly podcast where we pick out some of the most topical news stories from the world of maritime on Sea Trade Maritime News. And today we are covering June 2022. I'm large and in charge this month, as Marcus will not be around for the last week of June, so I'm going to abuse my newfound power by picking my first story from the last day of May, a story which missed the deadline for the last Maritime in Minutes. Maersk slipped out an announcement that it was the first foreign carrier to move international cargo within China's cabotage market. Now, this development makes good on an announcement made in November last year by China's Ministry of Transport that it would allow foreign carriers to move international cargo between Chinese ports on a trial basis through to 2024. There is quite a long list of regulatory criteria to meet before carriers can qualify for this program, but the prospect may prove appealing to lines looking for efficiency gains in the region. Being able to move cargo directly from Shanghai, Yangshan to ports in northern China cuts out some transshipment via Singapore or elsewhere to comply with China's rules. Indeed, Musk said the development will improve transit times and reduce CO2 emissions, and that it could help some supply chain bottlenecks in China. Now, Marcus, I believe bottlenecks kind of plays into your pick from the first week of June. Indeed, it does. There was a story we did about container ship delays and the resulting amount of tonnage that is effectively taken out of the market. Now, there may seem absolutely nothing surprising that 10.5% of the global container ship fleet capacity is currently tied up in delays, where it was at the end of April, except for the fact that that was actually good news. The figure of 10.5% in April represented a significant drop from 13.8% of the fleet being tied up in delays in capacity terms. In January, this means that 3.3% of the global fleet has been released back into operation from January to April, commented Alan Murphy, CEO of Sea Intelligence. But it's very much a relative improvement, and the market still has a very long way to go before we see something that resembles normalization. And with that, I'll hand over to Gary for week two. Your week one story is going to play into one of the stories you picked up for later in the month as well. But yeah, in week two of June was just a very busy week in the shipping calendar. Marcus will cover what is probably the main event for many people in the industry. But here in London and virtually was the 78th session of the Marine Environment Protection Committee, MEPC 78. I think the IMO is going back to having in-person meetings later this year, which I'm sure people are quite looking forward to. So one of the proposals on the table at MEPC 78 was the much-discussed Research and Development Fund, which would have meant taking revenue from any of the global market-based measure to price carbon and then reinvesting that money in R&D for green fuels and technology for the maritime industry. The proposal was not taken forward at MEPC 78 and the International Chamber of Shipping, ICS, which has backed this idea for some time now, was not best pleased. ICS blamed the proposal's stalling on short-sighted political manoeuvring, which gives an idea of the feeling around the particular topic. Environmental NGOs unsurprisingly had something to say as well. They broadly supported the increased ambition being brought forward at MEPC 78. But just as IMO is wrapping its head around net zero carbon by 2050, the goalposts may have shifted due to the amount of time we've sort of spent talking about it and not really getting enough done. 
that there might be calls for even greater ambition than that to make up for the emissions that we've had over the past few years. We had a great podcast in June with ABS covering global regulation. That's well worth a listen. And we'll have to get someone on to give us an update since post MEPC update. Marcus, you didn't have the quietest week in week two of June, did you? No, it was a bit of contrast to sort of the bureaucracy of the IMO and MEPC. The second week of June, for me, like a lot of other people in the industry, saw me at Posidonia. And where on earth do I start with that one? I think to quote Greek shipowner Harry Vafias from an interview and podcast we recorded, for one week, Greece becomes the centre of full world shipping. And there's pretty much no other way of describing it. If anyone had any doubts about the appetite for in-person events post-pandemic, Posidonia clearly dispelled these. The exhibition halls were packed with visitors from around the globe. There were huge traffic jams to get into the venue. And of course, there were the parties. Amid all of this, there was some serious business and discussions taking place, including the first Global Maritime Club Summit, where a shortage of seafarers and the treatments of crews during the pandemic was put into sharp relief, the launch of the ABS latest decarbonisation outlook, and discussions around sanctions. There are simply far too many stories for me to talk about here, so head over to ctrade-maritime.com and read our dedicated Posidonia 2022 page for all the coverage we had of that week. If you're enjoying listening, make sure you never miss an episode of the Maritime Podcast by subscribing on the app of your choice. Week three indeed. For me, this included a deep dive into a research paper which shared the results of some extensive emissions monitoring aboard a new LNG carrier. Queen Mary University of London led this study, which found a surprising amount of methane slip from the generator engines. I believe this vessel had two main engines and four smaller generator engines. I found the whole thing quite an interesting read given just how prominent methane slip becomes as soon as you start any debate around LNG as marine fuel. The study shows just how complex the emissions landscape is aboard just a single vessel and the number of variables involved. In particular, the study noted a large increase in methane slip for engines when under low load. And as the vessel was on its second ever voyage, the four generator engines were all fired up and all running on a low load instead of putting higher loads onto fewer engines. The authors of the study said that running the engines at 80% load would have cut methane emissions by around half showing just how much is at stake from the load level here. Ultimately, the study calls for more measurement and study on board a range of LNG carriers to build a better understanding of different containment types, different ages of vessels, different propulsion and all of it. But it did find that CO2 emissions overall were lower than assumed in some other studies, and its broad recommendations were for the industry to improve its own self-monitoring by installing methane monitors onto engine exhausts so that we can see how much is coming out of the tailpipe and then try and work out how to get that number down. So Marcus, you are a bit more political on your third pick and tying back to your first pick for June. Yeah, to an extent it is, and it's definitely more political than the very important story you chose just there. My focus is very much stateside in the third week of June, with the passage by the US Congress of the Ocean Shipping Reform Act 2022. The act is one of the few things probably in American government to enjoy bipartisan support and seek to strengthen the powers of the Federal Maritime Commission to regulate liner shipping, which has been accused of gross profiteering, 
at the expense of American businesses, consumers, and exporters. It's an issue very much backed by US President Biden, who took the opportunity to repeat remarks about a small number of international companies, i.e. shipping lines, raising prices by over a thousand percent. While most in the shipping press chose to lead with the responses of the industry, mainly the World Shipping Council, and that the allegations of monopolistic actions and gross profiteering were false, the statements have little, in reality, if any, weight in the US political arena. The industry should be under no illusions that US politicians at the highest level have the sector firmly in their sights, blamed for inflation. And it lacks the political support to fight these allegations. In many senses, a situation that's very familiar to shipping, its international nature, means it lacks political support and will at a national level in many countries. And that was seen in the crew change crisis as well during COVID. So it's going to be very interesting to see how this develops. We are on to week four now, and we're staying political this time, but we'll be on the right side of the pond over here in Europe. The EU's emissions trading scheme took another step closer towards entering into force after the European Parliament agreed their position on the ETS. The biggest inclusion for us in this is, of course, the shipping sector, and the Parliament has gone for stricter rules for shipping than was in the Commission's proposal on the same. This is one of the pillars of the so-called Fit for 55 package, which you may have seen discussed elsewhere. And the ETS would come into force in January 2023 and have quite a short transition period by the Parliament's proposal. So depending on the next round of negotiations at the EU, we'll, we'll sort of start to see the final shape of this. The European Community Shipowners Association seemed quite content with the outcome and they were happy that the voice of European shipowners had been heard during the debate. I think they had quite a lot of input and responses to it in its various forms. One footnote for this that I found quite interesting was that the ETS was knocked back earlier in June, I think on the 8th of June, at a pretty raucous vote at the Parliament. The ETS was rejected after an attempt to water it down, and this whole conflict brought scenes of booing and jeering in the chamber. Reading the transcripts when the rapporteur responsible for sort of drafting this text spoke after the vote, he had to call for quite something like half a dozen times in the space of a couple of paragraphs. I was sorry to miss that story the first time around, but I'm guessing all the shouting in the European Parliament wasn't as loud as all the noise coming out of Athens during Posidonia is probably what it comes down to. Marcus, so what's your last pick for June before you abandon me for the final week? The story that caught my eye in the fourth week of the month was from our New York correspondent, Barry Parker on remarks made by BW Group Chairman Andreas Simon Powell at the Marine Money Conference held in New York. Extremely well-read, Simon Powell has the great ability to place what is happening in shipping within the broader global macroeconomic and political picture. In this case, he highlighted what I'd describe as the great dichotomy, where Simon Powell said he was very positive about the outlook for shipping, but very negative about the outlook for the world economy. Dislocations in supply and demand for energy and food are proving to be great news for shipping markets in terms of profitability. However, there was also a warning that the economic machine had been ran to the limit and was breaking down. One has to wonder how long it will be before this also actually proves to be negative for shipping as well as positive. And on that sort of positively negative note, I'll leave the last week to you, Gary. <laughs> Thanks, Marcus. Uh, just in my career as a maritime journalist, I can vaguely remember what happened shortly after shipping rates last went absolutely mad, and it wasn't great. 
<laughs> on to future Gary for week five, I suppose. Indeed. And as you said, when last time shipping rates went bananas, what came afterwards was not good. Okay, so I'm back, sweating away down here in the podcast mines whilst Marcus enjoys a well-earned break. Here are my picks from the fifth week of June 2022. First up was a piece from our Middle East correspondent, Peter Shaw-Smith, on UAE-based Lampril, an engineering and fabrication company in the sort of shipyard space, listed in London, and they have a lot of work in the offshore sector. The company is considering selling up to a minority shareholder at a heavy discount, Peter has called it a fire sale, in the face of a liquidity crunch. Price and conditions are still being discussed and there's no agreement made yet, but this could prove a pretty significant development in the Middle East shipyard space. Check Peter's story for more detail on Sea Trade Maritime News. And last but not least for June, a story I've really only chosen to celebrate a bit of a role reversal for the maritime industry. Shell and CMA CGM signed a decarbonisation deal, which includes the usual cooperation and partnering and whatnot. There are plenty of such announcements around at the moment, but this one stood out for me not just for a LNG supply deal to bunker CMA CGM's 13,000 TEU box ships out in Singapore. CMA CGM has backed LNG as its transitional fuel and there are a bunch of vessels on the water with LNG powered down the side of them in giant letters, can't miss them. But what really drew me to the story was a small note from CMA, CGM and Shell which said the pair planned to extend their agreements and the broader partnerships on decarbonisation into the road and aviation sectors in the future. I'd like to see the maritime industry at the forefront of these things and it makes a nice change from adopting technologies decades after they've become commonplace on road or in the air. So nice to be out in front for once. That's it for June. Our June roundup is finished. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Maritime in Minutes. Make sure you stay on top of the news by signing up for our newsletter at ctrade-maritime.com. That was Maritime in Minutes. Stay safe. Marcus and I will be back at the end of July for another quick roundup of the month's events. <laughs>